Welcome back to The Resilient Musician, a podcast highlighting some of the incredible achievements of musicians during the pandemic. My name's Johnny and I'm Head of Artist Relations at Encore. In today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by the South African pianist, vocal coach and researcher Nico de Villiers. Before the pandemic, Nico performed internationally as a soloist and an accompanist, and he completed a PhD on the American composer and conductor Richard Hagerman at Guildhall in London in 2018, where he now works as a vocal coach. But today, I'm most interested in hearing about his latest project, a podcast series entitled What Would Mozart Do? In each episode, Nico features a musician who explains how they've transferred the skills they've learned studying music into other fields of work. Now, this might seem quite meta, but I actually met Nico a few weeks ago on his podcast when he was interviewing me about the work we've been doing at Encore to highlight the effects of Brexit and COVID on musicians in the UK. And it struck me that his own podcast was a perfect example of the kind of story we want to be sharing here on The Resident Musician. Nico, when did you first start making What Would Mozart Do? What was the first thing that made you think, right, I need to start a podcast? Okay, well, firstly, John, thank you so much for inviting me to speak on your podcast. It's, as we said earlier, it's a bit deja vu that we're both in the same place, as it were. So what would Mozart do basically came about because I am, in in addition to being a coach at the Guildhall, I teach on two other modules. One is a more academic module, and then there's another module that I um, teach on or teacher's not really the right word, I would say mentor uh, students on. And that is to write self-reflective accounts of their experience through the year. Some people discuss issues regarding performance anxiety. And so, of course, I was uh, teaching on that module last year. And then the worst thing happened, but also the best thing for self-reflection happened. So in this module, the self-reflective module, I had six students with the first online meeting. It's all new. It's all exciting. Oh my goodness. We're all at home. We all had a cup of coffee and just sat down and we chatted. And people were generally enthusiastic, curious how things are going to change, etc., and how we're we going to deal with learning in that or through that medium of Zoom. Then a few weeks later, we met again and it really struck me how the students have changed. Some of them were still very enthusiastic and said it's actually really good because they had to look at how they can better manage their time to be working really efficiently, how they had to make sure they had daily deadlines or daily goals that they want to work towards. Another section of the group were in the middle. They said, some days are great, some days are terrible, but you know, let's just ride this out. And then the other extreme were a couple of people that were really despondent, not only because we were in lockdown, but they were asking the questions of, well, how am I going to learn? How, and at that point we had no 
idea really how long this is going to last. And, you know, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. We just knew we were in a tunnel. And so those couple of students were really worried about their studies. They were questioning the need for them to continue their studies. And so some of the questions that came up in that session from students were, well, what's my degree in music worth? What else can I do? Should I be doing something else? Should I leave my studies altogether and do a different course or go into an apprenticeship or something like that? And it was tricky for me at first to answer the students, giving definitive answers of, well, this is what you do, A, B, C, D, or one, two, three, four, whichever list you prefer to make. But I did say, I will go and find out, because for me, that is important as a mentor or as a lecturer or a coach, that on the one hand, to admit when you don't know the answer, and secondly, to offer to find out more information to bring it back to your students. So then I thought, well, how am I going to get the answers to their questions? And I've been toying with the idea of starting a podcast, but I never had a huge motivation to do so. And so then I thought, well, this is the best opportunity to one, get the answers to the questions, but also to start a podcast. And I decided to make a list of people who I know perhaps have either come from a different career into music or who have parallel careers or people who have left music altogether. But I wanted to know what the transferable skills were that these people brought from other disciplines into music or found that they could transfer from music to other disciplines. And I think the first podcast episode was published the last week of June. And I publish each week talking to a different person. So yeah, that's basically how the podcast came about to help the students. Great. I really loved the way that you identified a problem that your students were having. And then you thought about ways that you could solve it, even though yourself at that moment didn't have the answers. I think that's a really good approach. I'm particularly think, interested, I mean, actually, in, do you feel now at this stage that you've got the answers and you've interviewed around about 40 people? Have you got to the point now where you've, you've gone back to your students with some ideas on how they can use their musical skills in other areas of their lives? I would say that I've got that in my back pocket, but in, in the conversations that I've had, I've learned a lot because, I mean, my career has always been in music in some way or another. Yes, I've sort of changed lanes or sometimes occupy a number of lanes, be it performance or teaching or research, etc. So so yeah, I now when students ask me, I to be honest, I do refer them to my podcast because the number of people that I'm talking to, they're not only UK based. They're, they're mainly UK and US, but I think that also gives a bigger view, overview of what is out there and what people's experiences are and have been to help the students to be informed in that way. Are there any things that you've learned or you've been surprised by that particularly stick out from your podcasts? Could you give any examples perhaps of people 
who have skills from music that you, you hadn't thought of before you did the podcast series? I would say something that strikes me. Nearly every guest that I've uh, spoken to and then asked specifically about transferable skills would say empathy and the ability to communicate, the inherent ability to organize and to think of a number of things at the same time. You know, and I mean, there's a number of times that we've drawn the the parallels between playing in a chamber music ensemble and managing, you know, a group of people, or for instance, being the entrepreneur, the one with the idea, and putting that together, similarly to how one might have an idea for a recital series, or you know, being an artistic curator for a project. So those skills weren't surprising to me, but it, it was great to hear it from other people. I sort of, in the back of my mind, thought, well, these are skills that we would have. But one thing I've learned from the pandemic, an important thing, is to talk to other people. I think one thing that did strike me, talking to all these people, is how often we feel it's only me, only I'm feeling this way, surely nobody else is feeling it. And then when you start talking to people, just how many elephants there are in the room and these open secrets. For instance, early on in the podcast, I had so many people responding, um, sending messages, etc., which is great, but saying, Thank you that somebody is at last speaking up about the need of having a parallel career or that to admit, basically, that the bills aren't necessarily paid solely by concerts, that there's music teaching, there's PA jobs that are done on the side, there's people working in restaurants, etc. So it's loads of little bits of money that are put together in order to make a living. And it was important for me to highlight those things because I don't think it's, it's not clearly enough communicated at conservatoire and university level. I think it's a conversation that should be had on a weekly basis from first year undergrad. It tends to be something that is incorporated towards, if it's organized, towards the end of the undergraduate degree or something that is specifically focused during postgrad, but that's too late. I think these conversations need to be had frankly and openly right from the start that people know what, the, what this business, because that is what it is, it's a business. It's because it's music doesn't make it less stressful or untaxed or without bills. And that's something I had to learn over time in real life. So for me, it's important to, to use the podcast to help the students to know earlier on what the pitfalls are to look out for, but also to try and build a community of people listening and conversing about these topics, you know, that they're out there.
and we can ask questions. And I mean, something that has that has struck me is there was one lady that I spoke to. Because of how she's built, she's a soprano. The photos that are taken never showed off really what what she looks like because there's this one way of taking a soprano's photo. She has short hair and she actually looks very boyish, but you know, she doesn't she doesn't want to be all glammed up because that's not her. And so she created a company herself that would create portfolio photos for singers that is specific to that singer rather than I need to fit into this generalized box of this is how people of my voice type tends to be photographed. Yeah, that's super interesting. You touched on a few points there, but I was quite interested in what you were saying about various ideas around entering the music business that still exist in conservatoires. I've heard other musicians talk about this, but do you feel there still is this assumption that anyone going to conservatoire is going to make 80, 90, 100% of their income from performing concerts immediately when they leave the door of the conservatoire? Unfortunately, yes. And the setup is as such that everybody going through the heralded doors of the conservatoire will walk out into Covent Garden or La Scala, the Met. It, it just doesn't work that way. That's not to say that one shouldn't aim for that or aspire to it. But one needs to know from the beginning what the difficulties are and what the potential um, obstacles could be in order to make life decisions. Take one example, the amount that it costs to constantly audition, to travel when you can, to tra travel to auditions. Just that in itself is such an expense that you either need to have a patron or if you're in a relationship, your, your partner would have to have a steady income source or from parents you know, because there are little bits of expenditure that often overtakes the amount that you're actually getting. These issues are usually either discussed within the frame of mind of the first two years, two, three years after you finish postgrad, or when you are somebody that's already made it and you're already made in the traditional sense as in singing on the stages of major opera houses, if we're talking about opera singers. But the middle ground, the, the middle of the journey is never spoken about. What about if you get married or settle down with a partner towards the end of their 20s, early 30s? You have children. How do you deal with that you know those are ways that people live their lives that for a career can create obstacles and I think we need to talk about this earlier on that people know these are the trajectories not only professionally but personally and what happens in life 
and how to marry those trajectories with each other. And I think we need to just prepare our students and our young artists better for what is out there beyond the day that they graduate. And also actually middle career individuals. When you're not within the last three, four years of having graduated, but you're also on this side of the door towards performing at the highest level. And I've, in my examples, I've only spoken about performance. Another obstacle or thing that I think is never discussed from the beginning of undergrad is one, people change and our outlooks change, our focuses change. If you're a pianist, you might go into conservatoire at the age of 17, 18, thinking, I want to be a concert pianist. I want to play concerti with orchestras left, right, and center. And I want to play solo recitals, and that's all I want to do. Statistically, it's a very small number of pianists that actually only have that without any teaching on the side or anything. But also, how many pianists, and I'm going to include myself in that, get to their third year of undergrad and realize, I want to make music with people. Yes, playing solo, enjoying the limelight is nice now and then, but I prefer making music with other people, discussing music with other people, and then changing your career accordingly. That doesn't only happen when you're in education, that happens throughout your life. By your late, 30, uh, late 20s, you might think, do I still want to perform? Or do I want to focus more on research? Or am I still getting out of my music what I thought I would 10 years ago? You know, so I think that's, the, that's a big point that always comes up in the episodes as well, is keep on checking in with yourself. It's kind of strange for me. We often do that in life in general. Are, are we happy with where we are? Or for whatever reason, I'm not happy living in this flat anymore. So I'm going to go and look to find another place to live. We need to do that professionally as well. Constantly check in. And then the last point on that that I would say what I've learned, because we do that all the time in practicing music, we fail all the time. And whether you're playing a wrong note in your practice or whether you're working on a piece and you realize that this is not how to play it or sing it, that's it's not working, but then you alter it. That in itself is a failure which you then alter to, that you respond to and you grow. And I think because we are working to, to, to get something to the highest possible level, we think that we cannot accept and embrace failure. 
whereas that is actually what is making us improve. And the bigger picture of that is by checking in, if for whatever reason you feel you need to change your career or change an aspect of your career, that doesn't mean that you failed. Personally, I think not checking in and just chugging along because that is what you think the rest of the world is expecting of you. I think that's more a failure in the negative sense than the smaller failures or the big failures in the sense of changing course for the bigger goal to be achieved. Great. That's a very full answer to what you've learned. Yeah. You obviously learned a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I really agree with the point you were making about musicians. I think as musicians, we perhaps have a tendency to have quite a rigid sense of identity because our identity is the thing we're, we're selling often. So if we change our identity, then that's actually, it's kind of like a career shift as well. So the, the fact that your sense of self and your career are so intertwined as a musician, I think make that particularly difficult. Mm-hmm. But I want to come back actually to the reason you set up the podcast. And I want to imagine that one of your students or maybe just any musician is listening into this podcast and maybe a little more briefly, I wondered if you could summarize, <laughs> Sorry. if you could summarize a piece of advice you'd like them to, to take away if they're sitting, listening and wondering, do I actually want to continue being a musician given everything that's going on at the moment? What would be your advice for someone like that? First and foremost, I would say make an agreement with yourself that on the one hand, if you're planning on sticking to this, as it were, make an an arrangement with yourself to each month or six weeks, every other month, but on a regular basis to check in with yourself and check in where you are with how you feel about your career and what are the issues in your career that you feel might need special attention or that are perhaps pointers in how you might want to make a change. Secondly, be open for change. Change doesn't mean you can't come back. Change means for me growth and development. And if you come full circle, then you will return to that point enriched. And finally, I would say, as scary and as daunting it might be, do not be afraid of taking a risk and stepping outside your comfort zone. In fact, I want to say part of checking in is stepping outside your comfort zone. So make sure that you constantly and regularly do that in order to grow. Great advice. That was very short for me. (laughs) Thank you. I said, I think I said one piece of advice and you gave three, but you know, it's like, like one of those, 
buy, buy one get get three get, get offers. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> buy one get two free. Yeah. <laughs> no, that no, no, that was seriously really helpful. And finally, I guess I'm wondering what the future of this podcast is for you, and if you've got anything on the horizon that you'd like to to draw our attention to. Well, the main goal for the podcast is to keep the conversation going. I would love to speak to as many as possible people, but not just in for quantity's sake, but for quality's sake. So I would like to speak to people who, I mean, if you think there's one of my guests that is a speech pathologist, but also a cellist. So and one person who is a politician, but also a pianist. And so I would love to speak to more people with perhaps more surprising combinations of careers with music or alongside music. I know, I know the trend is to put a number um, of episodes or a number of years that one wants to dedicate to it. I will be honest, I don't have anything specific in that sense. For me, it's in order to, because I feel that would sort of put a sell-by date, if you like, on the conversations. So I want to keep the conversation open and we'll see where it takes me next. You know, I'm completely open to sit back and see how it develops i've had the opportunity to speak to a number of people and that they're my guests but i've also been asked to be the guest as with this podcast for a number of other podcasts and that's always a privilege and what i enjoy about that is that the conversation broadens out beyond my own podcast and so i guess if there's a goal it would be that that it's not only within my podcast, but that it's becoming a network of discussion. So everyone's talking about what Mozart would do. Exactly. Yes. <laughs> I mean, let's make if, hats if and, and T-shirts and pencils <laughs> and everything. No, but yeah, that we do ask. Because I didn't say that before. I mean, the name of the podcast is an echo of a, a famous saying of a certain group um, a religious group of people but i wanted to play on it what would mozart do if he were stuck in a in a lockdown or in a pandemic because he was so creative and seemingly could think on his feet and that's why i chose that that title it sort of came from in a pandemic what would mozart do whereas now it would be well what's the bigger question how would mozart deal with identity and parallel careers having children exactly and loss you know there's been a couple of conversations on the podcast that's come up as well and how people who either have lost parents or a spouse how that affected their outlook on life and therefore how it affected the way they thought about their musical career and coming back to identity, you know. So it's, for me, an incredibly interesting conversation that goes far beyond music. You know, it's to do with humanity. The, the goal for us is, as I say, keep the conversation going. It's to do with humanity. I think we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll wrap up 
there, Nico. But thank you so much for coming along. You mentioned before the podcast that you've got a book launch tomorrow. So good luck with that. And thank everyone should much. check that out if you're interested in Thomas Hageman, is it? Richard. Richard Hageman. Hageman. Okay, yes. Richard Hageman. Thanks so much for joining me, Nico. Thank you very Been much. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the third episode of The Resilient Musician. Next week, I'll be speaking with the renowned jazz trombonist and arranger Callum Au. Callum is well known for arranging music for the likes of Quincy Jones, Jamie Cullum, and performing in the famous Ronnie Scott's Jazz Orchestra, but we'll be diving into how he's managed to release two full big band albums during lockdown. So do join us for that. Finally, this podcast was brought to you by the team at Encore, the UK's online marketplace for booking musicians. If you're a musician who'd like to join the platform, or you're looking to book a musician for a virtual or live event, you can find out more at onclemusicians.com. <laughs>